Coming up Saturday morning, I'm closing out National Child Abuse Prevention Month interviewing Glenda Noyes, new director of CASA GAL of Gallatin County. These people are advocates and representatives for abused and neglected children in court. Glenda will highlight her work, CASA's 40-year history, and the need for more volunteers for this increasing problem. It's Gazoodtite with Jacobus. to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. It's nice to be with you. It looks like a beautiful day outside right now. Goodness gracious, what a difference it makes when you wake up and uh, the sun is coming out. It's nice to be with you. Today, we're going to be talking about child abuse prevention month and glenda noise will be with me in about a half hour she had a few other things to do and so she'll be joining me then all the way till 11 and uh, the uh, schedule that she sent me it sounds very very interesting i think we're going to have some amazing heartwarming and also heart-wrenching stories that we can listen to that have to do with child abuse in the Gallatin County and in Park County, perhaps. I don't know. She's going to bring some statistics. and uh, But just we, we talked about this a couple months ago, early February. I talked about child abuse uh, that happened after several articles had been appearing in the Bolson Daily Chronicle, uh, written by Gail Schonsler, and that were all focused on either uh, child abuse where a little baby had died or there was the article with uh, the two ladies who had uh, who had directed CASA, the, the, uh, what we're going to talk about today, and GAL. And uh, then there was one on foster parents, and there was a child who was talking about, there was a young man who is now very successful in Washington, but who had been in all kinds of foster families throughout his life. So that is something that we talked about in early February, and uh, some of you may still remember that, where goes the time, where time flies. Fun flies when you do time, isn't it? As always, when we talk about these topics of health, healing, and healthy lifestyles, it's not the purpose of the show to diagnose, treat, or cure. It's all about information and education and a little little twing of entertainment in there mixed in as well, just to give it a little color. And uh, we are always recommending that you see either the expert after the program, the person who is on the program, uh, today or any day, or that you see a physician of your choice. Just get the best information you can get either from another physician, from the specialist in the store, in the show, I should say, on the show, or from the uh, the internet. There is some great information on li- in the libraries as well as on the internet available. You have to look for it. Just become educated, and if especially if health interests you. 
So Glenda Noyce will be on in just a little bit, and I will uh, tell you more about her. And of course, I'll let her tell more about who she is and where, what the what the whole reason is why she's doing the work she's doing. But I thought I want to uh, touch on a few issues that were brought up in the last program. And the, uh, the one of the big things that I talked about was the uh, my talk with uh, April Hall, and she was the grandmother who was, it was just a very sad story. Um, she had a she had a granddaughter, and it says over here in the article, the grandmother crusades for states abuse kids after a girl's death. April Hall knew something was wrong when her two-year-old granddaughter would come to visit and always had scrapes and bruises on her head. Then one day, the little girl, October Perez, Toby for short, October Perez cried when Hall took off her coat. It hurt her arm, and she couldn't hold the cup. So Hall took the child to the emergency room in Great Falls. Call family services, Hall mouthed to the woman at the hospital desk. The x-ray showed that October had one broken arm, and her other arm was healing from a recent break. The doctor, she said, called it a common break that the child's mother couldn't explain. Despite the red flags, two broken arms... Recurring bruises, a missing tooth. This is a two-year-old. The grandmother couldn't persuade state, child, and family services caseworkers to take the little girl away from the filthy home where she lived with her mother and her mother's boyfriend. Now, to jump in over here, one of the things that she mentioned, it was an apartment that was 800 square feet where she lived with her, the, the, the girl lived with her mother she lived with her boyfriend, the boyfriend's brother, his wife. I think there may even be another child in there, and then two big dogs, 800 square feet. And there was so much going on when she would pick up her granddaughter. The house was just filthy. There was, there was you know, uh, trash next to the baby chair, and it was just filthy. And there was drug paraphernalia on the kitchen counter. So it was definitely a tough case. Uh, family services tells me I have 20 minutes to take her back said to, uh, to, to her mother, Hall said. They said there was no proof of abuse. Interesting. Instead, the agency tried to teach October's family better parenting skills. Well, good luck with that. Caseworkers wouldn't take Hall's photos or bruises, saying photos could be doctored. They wouldn't let her take the child to a dentist. Hall pleaded with them to look into the boyfriend's record in Oklahoma, where his own parental rights had been taken away when he was convicted on a drug charge. She felt that the workers didn't care and lied to her. These damn boyfriends living with their mothers, with these mothers, Hall said, they have more rights than grandparents do because it's their household. Over six months, Hall and others, including her son, October's father, a soldier in Afghanistan, complained to family services. The grandmother called police when a family member photographed October with three teeth missing. She hired a lawyer. Nothing worked. Family service said, the case is closed. Everything will be all right. All said, and in three weeks, she was dead. After suffering bruises, a broken back, and other broken bones, had trauma and brain swelling, 
October was flown to Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City. The little girl was declared brain dead on June 25, 2011. David Hislop, mother Christy Phillips' boyfriend, was convicted in 2012 of deliberate homicide and sentenced to 100 years in prison without possibility of parole. The tragedy of October Perez turned hall from a great false grandmother who had been cleaning homes for the past 20 years into an unlikely activist crusading for stronger protections for Montana kids. Armed with the Scobie High School education and photos of her blonde, blue-eyed granddaughter, Hall has worked with prosecutors and police, grandparents and citizen activists for the past five years. She passed petitions, met with two governors, drove snowy roads to Helena to pastor lawmakers, and overcame her fear of public speaking. She baked cookies to raise money and gave dozens of interviews to news reporters. If it helps one kid, that makes it worthwhile, she said. Her efforts in the 2013 and 2015 legislatures helped to pass and strengthen laws aimed at protecting children. One is called the October Perez Law, for which Hall fought in the 2013 session. It created a new state ombudsman position for child abuse cases. The ombudsman, when we got that, it was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life, Hall said. So anyway, this was the beginning of the article that uh, you can still find on the Bobcat, off on the Bobcats, on the <laughs> Bozeman Daily Chronicles website. And uh, just put in CASA, C-A-S-A, and uh, search, and I will bring you to different articles, and you will see... Uh, the picture or you, all these pictures come up and uh, you can even talk about uh, abused children and I'm sure it will come up. So this was uh, published in February or actually January 29. So that is indeed when I got that article. That is when I decided to do a show on child abuse. Uh, I wasn't able at that point to get Glenda on the show, nor the two ladies who started uh, CASA in Gallatin County. And so it, what we have now is, and these two ladies are uh, Nancy Mitchell and Anita Naibo. Uh, they were not av- available. And so, uh, and then Anita said, well, you know, really, we are retired from that position. Get uh, Glenda. And so Glenda will be on, like I said, in just a little bit as the new director, the executive director of the Gallatin Valley CASA GAL program. And Cal- uh, CASA stands for Court Appointed special advocate and gal gal stands for guardian at litem and um, it's really interesting that uh, uh, so much has happened with this in bettering the lives of so many young children infants and toddlers and 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 elementary school students as well as teenagers to help them get away from a very dysfunctional household and the the amount of drugs used in this state and not just in this state but this is a nationwide organization casa you uh the more you read about it the more uh, the horrible more horrible it is i mean it's just amazing what how many children are being abused in this country, uh, we're talking. Probably, we'll talk more with the numbers 
with Glendale when she comes on. But we're talking over 700,000 children every year are being abused, either emotionally, physically, sexually, and about 251,000 court cases regarding child abuse cases are being presented in court uh, every year in this country, 251,000. That's incredible. And there is help is needed because these children haven't done anything wrong and they're exploited. There is, uh, I found an article in the, um, in, in an old file that I had and I want to see what it is, but it is about child pornography. And uh, that's a whole lot of, that's a whole lot of beast. Uh, this was an article in the parade magazine in, uh, that comes on Sundays. And back in 2005, I somehow saved it in my files and I found it. And I, I may have a chance to talk to Glenda about that a little bit, what she knows, if there's any statistics about that in Montana, but you talk about child pornography and you talk, that is something that's a whole different level. And these people need to be punished who are involved in this. And the the difference that they say in the article, the difference between cocaine uh, travelers who get much harsher punishment and then child pornography, the cocaine people, these have to, they have to manage fields. They have to get workers. They have to fly the stuff or travel the stuff secretly to wherever the market is. Uh, it's a lot of work. And and I'm not saying that is uh, that's good. I mean it's bad, but at the same time, when you look at child pornography, it's often done by the parents. It's done by the caretakers. It's done by family members. And these pictures from children involved in child pornography, um, they are there forever because once they go on the internet, they'll be there forever. And it is very difficult to get rid of it. And you can only imagine, I mean, the scars that children have when they have been abused uh, physically, emotionally, uh, sexually, just for that reason, just in that case already, will leave scars for the rest of their lives. You add into that something such as child pornography. Uh, can you just imagine what happens to these children when they see themselves later if they find themselves over the internet and see pictures of themselves or movies where they are performing horrible act uh, acts and um, just for the, uh, the pleasure of other people. It's uh, simply incredible what is going on on the planet with certain individuals. And I... I know all of us have blind spots and I I know that we all make mistakes but how can you call this a blind spot in my opinion it's just unbelievable uh, what is going on at this point and I'm I'm just I'm just saying um it is something that we need to keep an eye on and um look out for and if you see anything that you that looks suspicious just go ahead and go for it. Attack attack these people. Give it to the authorities and keep moving along. So uh, we have a caller. Good morning, caller. What's your name? How can we help? This is Mr. Balance. I know uh, a guy that his brother and the brother's wife was charged with child abuse. The brother spent two years or four years in jail, and the, the wife spent two years in jail. And the, the, it was a... Uh, 
county in Washington state that later was found to be very heavy handed about making accusations like that. So there's another half to the story. Sometimes some government officials can go overboard trying to find cases of abuse and there aren't the real abuse there. So I just thought yeah. I'd mention that, that the other kind of thing can happen too. Well, what do you yeah. mean by the other kind of, other kind of, uh, uh, it, it was a, a county in Washington state that was really out to get parents that are abusing their ch- children. It later turned out that there were a couple dozen cases where they had false charges and because they were uh, knights in shining armor and put people in jail that uh, didn't deserve to be in jail. I see. So they're, they're, you, you can't say that there's always just children being abused. Uh, you have to have the balance that sometimes you can go overboard and make false accusations against the parents. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because what we're going to talk about with Glenda in the next half hour uh, or next uh, two and a half hours is uh, the work of CASA, the court-appointed special advocate. And she will explain what these people are doing. They will actually do behind-the-scenes research uh, on all the different parties as volunteers. So they're not being paid for that. And then the judge will get a much broader picture about the kind of abuse, who is involved, what is the truth. And so when he is being presented with that in court, he is able to make a much better uh, court case and also a better judgment in in uh, in what's going on. So I think with the uh, establishment of CASA that happened about uh, 40 years ago, I think that some of this can be helped. But obviously... You talk about something that happened not too long ago. And no, 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 that was uh, 10, 15 uh, years ago. Yeah, that should have been taken care of correctly. Um, hopefully, as, as, as Glenda is explaining it to us, uh, I think we have better information now available about the parties involved. And like I said, if 700,000 kids are being abused somehow every year in this country, and 251,000 are being uh, uh, discussed in court, that means there is a lot of children who are never seeing the light of day to, uh, to get, the, uh, to get the, sir, the, the, the justice they deserve. Yeah, yeah, and then you have to be careful that crusading social workers don't pull parents into th- these cases that the parents don't deserve. True, yeah. I agree. Okay. It's a great, right. great topic, Daniel. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. This is very, very interesting information uh, that's coming out. So we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We're also going to discuss uh, something about ACES, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences. Uh, she is, of course, going to explain Child Abuse, uh, Ch- uh, Prevent Child Abuse Month. That is now October, so we are at the end. I just haven't been able to get her on earlier, but it's all good. I mean, this is something that is ongoing. And uh, we need to address it. Uh, She will definitely explain to us what uh, the court-appointed special attorneys and the guardians at Lightham GAL is all about. And we'll talk about volunteers and the requirements to be a volunteer for this. And you'll be amazed. This involves people of all walks of life, uh, of course, with a clean record. uh, And 
there cannot be any, any contro controversy here. But uh, I think that the the talk about that, and maybe, I don't know what we can talk about child protective services, that's something we're going to have to see. But uh, it is a controversial thing. And uh, uh, child protective services is under the loop, I would say, by more organizations that uh, it's not doing what it is supposed to do. There are, of course, people who will saying we are underfunded and understaffed, but that is also stuff that can be discussed. In either case, I am very happy that you're here. My name is Jacobus Holloway. Glenda Noyes will be with me next. When we come back from the break, we'll be right back. It's nice to be with you. Uh, thanks so much for being here. We're talking today about Child Abuse Prevention Month, which is April, and it is the last, kind of last Saturday in April, so we had to wait to get Glenda on, and uh, I'm happy you're here. Glenda, good morning to you. Thank you. Good morning. All right. So, um, Glenda is with us, and we're going to see how the microphones are going to work if we do work in in court with each other. Uh, Glenda Noyce is the executive director of the Gallatin Valley CASA GAL program, GAL. And CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate, and GAL stands for Guardian Ad Litem. This nationwide organization has grown to 949 programs in 49 states and the District of Columbia, with more than 76,000 volunteers serving over 251,000 abused and neglected children annually. Uh, the uh, Glenda is located at the Law and Justice Center. She is on the third floor, room 313. And the telephone number over there is uh, 406, obviously, 582-2051, 2052-2051. And there's two websites I want to give before I get Glenda on. There is the Gallatin County CasaGal.org website, C-A-S-A-G-A-L, so Gallatin County CasaGal.org, and there is the nation or nationwide organization CasaForChildren.org. Great to have you on the program, Glenda. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, it's uh, what a work you do. Yes. This is a dedication. I, 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 I really would like to ask you and also let the listeners know, what got you into this? Well, I um, I guess I've always had a heart for at-risk children. Oh. I grew up in a home where we had um, foster kids on occasion, and um, I have older siblings who also had foster children in their home. Um and several years ago, I decided that I was ready and and wanting to become a foster parent myself. So mm -hmm. I became I did the training to become a therapeutic foster parent, oh. which is different um, yeah, than being that. a state foster um, home in that you're dealing the the children that you have in your home are generally kids that have been from a lot more difficult situations or have higher needs, um, you know, have maybe more behavioral problems or emotional problems stemming from whatever they had experienced before coming into foster care. You obviously need to have a huge heart to do this. Yes. 
at the same time, you need to have a very smart brain because you're going to be challenged by a lot of unpredictability. And what is it that you have done specifically in your training that you decided to to become a therapeutic foster parent? What is it? Is it really just because the love in your heart or did you have to take special training in order to understand the ins and outs of everything that is involved here? You do take special training. Therapeutic foster care requires, um, I think, about twice as much training hours annually as state foster parents are required to take, as well as the initial pre-service um, training hours are more extensive as well. So, um you know, you there, the homes that children um, go into need to be prepared for a huge gamut of um, behaviors and issues that they're going to have to deal with. And and I think the average number of placements that a foster child goes into is three or four. Okay. So you know they blow. We call it blowing out. Mm-hmm. They um they can't make it in that home either their behaviors are beyond what that family can handle or or things just go wrong so the more training um uh the foster parent or parents has the the more ability they have to maintain that placement um you know i i will talk about aces which is yeah, adverse sure. childhood experiences later but yeah. um being trained and understanding how how trauma and the things that go on in a child's life affects their their actual brain and then therefore affects their development and their ability to maintain in situations and and leads to other behavior issues helps a parent be able to understand that it's not you don't take it personal um and and learning different ways of of managing through those difficult situations with a child mm. Glenda Noyes is my guest on Gesundheit with Jacobus. Uh, she is the executive director of the Gallatin Valley Casa. How do you say it? Casa Gal or Casa Gal? I say Casa Gal. Casa Gal. Casa Gal. Yeah. Okay. Casa Gal. Casa, court appointed special advocates and Gal, guardian at Leidem. Um, I, I am I'm simply intrigued. I uh, uh, I'm a father of three children, who are all adults right now. I have two grand uh, grandchildren, and I am just amazed by your heart. What you do, because not only do you have a full time job as an executive director, helping other people, helping, and and you, before you got that, you were already doing this work. And also to have, you have a teenage uh, foster son. I do. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And so how long will you be able to help him to take care of him at this point? Well, ideally, he would be with me until he um, graduates from high school. Okay. Um, he is 16 now and will um, be, he, he won't be graduating until he's 19. So, you know, okay. at at 18, of course, he would have the choice to stay in care or not. Yes. Um so we we just see how it goes. Yeah. You know, if he if he wishes to stay with me um that long or um if they if he finds 
that he wants something different before, then the state would work on that. But yeah. I know that we're going to hear more of your personal story as the, the show goes on. We have a caller who would like to ask okay. you a question. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program. What is your name, please? How can we help you? Good morning, Jacobus. This is Tyler. Hi, uh, Tyler. Good morning. Uh, so you guys kind of i have been hearing about the uh, child abuse and neglect cases, and Montana really wants to kick up their uh, uh, helping kids and such. Well, so with my personal story, I have a three-year-old daughter who I got through a child and abuse neglect case because the mother was doing such things. But back in 2015, a child died. And you probably saw the story in the paper of uh, the child that died at the My Place Hotel. Yeah. The child died yeah, that's from right. trauma to the head and neck. Mm -hmm. And my daughter was in that room when that happened. Wow. And that mother still has parental rights to the other children. She's still allowed to see them. She, The state did not find it uh, fitting to take her parental rights away. She has decided to marry the uh, alleged uh, murderer, to put it bluntly that way, and... They took over a year to even charge this person. Huh. And this woman still is allowed to go out and create chaos. Yeah. And create chaos in the kids' lives because she never wants to be in their lives. She, Her main goal is basically to live off of the welfare, welfare state, food stamps and whatnot. Mm. So I guess I'm kind of looking for where is the state going to pick up and say these kids need to be away from a mother and stop thinking that mothers can do no wrong and that they can be rehabilitated because this is four kids in this mother's life Wow, that she just doesn't care about. Hi, Tyler. I have to be careful because I can't speak specifically to any particular case because of confidentiality rules and, and whatnot, but I do know that is a frustration that is shared by many people the the role of the CASA or guardian ad litem in these cases is to seek out and and advocate for what is in the best interest of of the child, even if that goes against what Child Protective Services is working towards. A statute does require that Child Protective Services work towards reunification with the, the parent or parents that children are removed from. And so that often ties their hands in, in how they're dealing with these cases. Mm. It's, it is a frustration sometimes while, while there are many parents are very capable of being reunited, reunited with their children with some rehabilitation and therapy and, and proven sobriety and things like that. There are cases where that's just probably not going to be suitable, especially if there's a situation of mental illness that it goes on untreated or the parent just doesn't make the strides that they need to to get their children back. So I share your frustration. I think that a lot of it is driven by legislation that that requires that reunification effort. And hopefully, you know, your child is in a better place and and things can be done for for children like like your child and, and others in those situations so that they aren't continued to be put in a place that's 
unsafe or unstable for them. Right. The issue that I have with the guardian ad litem is the one that was appointed to this case felt it fitting that the uh, kids still see this mother that has had an ongoing history with CPS. I, I believe that the situation is prior to my tenure, so I can't say how that, I can't speak to that. Even if I could, it's, like I said, a confidentiality issue that I can't speak specifically to any one case. So I, I don't know the history or, or can't speak to that in that situation. Um, each guardian ad litem is independently appointed by the judge, though they're under, you know, significant supervision by my office. You know, they, they have to look at the huge picture, the big picture and, and make their recommendations. And, and I'm sure that we're not always a hundred percent on, on the right track either, but we do do our best. So when do, when do the guardian ad litems, are they going to side with the parent that isn't about abuse and neglect and trying to protect the child? I guess, what can I do in this system where I'm getting perpetuated to keep going to the courts to make sure that my child is safe and the other party just wants to keep filing paperwork and wasting money where they're never going to go through the programs, they're never going to be right for their child and as that such? I'm not sure I understood the the actual question. Can you? Well, I guess what I could do as a parent to make sure that my child is going to stay safe and out of um, the reaches of the court stepping in and saying, "No, you have to allow your child to see this person, even though this person is married to the murderer of her child," and still continues to create more issues uh, with her other kids and neglecting them, not wanting to see them or any of that such, not wanting to support them. And then you go to the courts to try and get parental rights revoked so that we can't deal with this anymore and the kids can live a happy life. Have you sought out a parenting plan in your situation? Um, yeah, but she doesn't even, I didn't search out a parenting plan. I have 100% custody and she filed her parenting plan and that went as far as she filed the paperwork and has not done anything further. Didn't do the classes she was supposed to, didn't file the extra paperwork she was supposed to. So now it's just sitting in limbo up in the courts, and I still have to keep paying lawyers fees and court fees. You know, I just needs to be washed out. Tyler, I, uh, I, my goodness, what a, what a horrible story. Um, but I, I think the best is that I'm, first of all, I'm glad you called because it, it, it shows an actual situation to the listener. But I don't know if we're able on this program right now to, uh, to solve the issue completely. And I, I, I hope that if you are in this neighborhood that you maybe set an appointment with Glenda at, uh, her office at, uh, 582 and then whatever the other number was. 2051. 582-2051. And maybe visit her in the office and sit down and and um, get her full hundred percent attention to uh, to focus on this for you. Okay, yeah, that'd be great. All right, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, Tyler. Tyler. I know I feel the pain, and uh, at the same time the total frustration because if you get the runaround from the court system, and you know the the thing is just like the parents who are really caring for the children end up spending a lot of their time, which they are willing to do, but they have a job often and they cannot miss that many hours. Most people have a day job. So 
the time when you would have to go see somebody in an office, it is when you're working also. So it is hard to get time off and uh, to uh, to try to solve or at least get some answers, solve the problem or get some answers. Uh, at the same time, we um, need to understand, we, we're looking at what you're doing, and, and this is also, this is an... A volunteer job. Now you're probably paid. Yes. But the people from CASA and GAL are volunteers, and so I thought maybe you want to explain to our listeners what is all this about. Tell us what CASA and GAL uh, Guardians at Lightem is. I've been reading about it. I got a lot of information here. Uh, maybe you want to tell us first the history. But uh, with the with the uh, Supreme uh, Court justice, sure. So um, our the the Casa program was started forty years ago this year in King County, Washington, by a, re- uh, a then judge uh, David Sukup. Mm-hmm. Um, he was. You know, sitting in court in these kind of situations um, where the parents have an attorney and the Department of Family Services has an attorney and everyone's advocating for their position, but he would go home at night just really frustrated and um, feeling like he wasn't doing justice for the children because they they didn't have someone speaking just for them. Right. And... So he started a pilot project in 1977. Yeah. Where he was, he had volunteers serving in just the same capacity that we do today, Hmm. where there they were assigned or appointed to advocate for the best interest of the children alone. And, you know, they, they came in as an independent party, not affiliated or associated with. With either side, they're they're not part of the court system. They're not part of the child protective system. Um, they're not affiliated with the parents in any way, and their their role was to investigate and um, and research and get to know the child and figure out what indeed is the best interest of that child, mm-hmm. and then make recommendations to the judge going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so. They, um, like you said earlier, there's over 933 programs or something like that today in 49 states. North Dakota doesn't have one. I'm not sure why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so North Dakota has the one. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are nearly 77,000 CASA or guardian ad litem who are, who are volunteering. Yeah. We currently have, um, the last statistic I saw was over 250,000 children being served across across the U.S. in Every this capacity. Year. That's yes. right. So, um, yeah. And w- so, and then I was reading that uh, Judge Joe Gary is the one who got the program started in Montana. Yes. He went to some conference, and I remember Judge Gary uh, pretty well, had some real nice conversations with him, of course, later on life. But uh, he started the program apparently in 1986, and so yep. that must have been when when Anita got involved, yes. and so she's been yep. kind of the trailblazer for the program in the Gallatin County. Yes, Anita Naibo and Judge Gary 
back in 1986, began the program here. Anita was working out of her basement initially and um, got the whole thing up and running. And then in 2001, the program became an official nonprofit. So they served for... And that's when Nancy joined also. Yes. Right. So Nancy, what's her last name? Nancy Mitchell. Nancy Mitchell. Thank you very much. So, you know, Anita is like the heart and soul of this program for 30 years until she retired last summer. That's right. And that's what I read the article, not last summer, but I read the second article that uh, came uh, end of January. Right. And that was in kind of an unexpected article. They said that was part two of the interview and they didn't know it was ever going to be published. Uh, So they got some telephone calls from people who were kind of upset because they felt there was an attack on child protective services. But um, in any case, Judge Gary uh, was interested. So the fact that I know who he is, uh, I wasn't aware of this until I read this yesterday, that he was the first one who said, we got to do this. Yes. Yeah. And I know uh, every judge since that time, Judge Salvani has been very strongly involved. Uh, He just retired, right? He did. And so this is, uh, that is the history of um, of this program, the it, what is the difference between CASA and Guardians at Lightem? What's the difference in in our system in our program? There is not a difference. Okay. Um. In in some other places there is a difference, but for for our purposes here locally, the the name is used interchangeably. Um. Some some programs in other places are are just a guardian ad litem program and not a CASA program also. Um, I'm not sure about the ins and outs of why that is. Um, our judges really know us as guardian ad litem here. We added the the CASA title um, uh, several years ago. I'm not, I'm not sure at what point um, in order to be affiliated with the national program as well. And so we're, we're accredited through national CASA and, and there was some legislation this year that actually put the, the CASA, the court appointed special advocate term into the legislation too. Okay. So that they're, they're kind of interchangeable in, in statute now as well. I see. Glenda Noyes, my guest on Gazuntite with Jacobus, uh, the telephone number where you can go find more about CASA. And Guardian at Lightem is 582-2051. The website is Gallatin County Casa Gal, G-A-L, dot org. And you find all different links to other websites, including the national website. It's really an, an amazing program. I'm so glad it's here. We're going to hear a lot more from you as the next two hours uh, unfold. The the understanding that indeed a group of people, and we're going to talk about how this works for volunteers, a group of people literally says, because the judge says, I can't figure out hat nor tail on who is right and who's not right. And he decided to work with these people who said, okay, then we're going to do the interviews behind the scenes. We're going to talk to the janitors and the neighbors and the, the grandparents and the, the, the friends and uh, whoever knows these children, including the children and the parents, and we're going to interview everybody. Then we're going to find out what is the common thread amongst the whole story. And you're going to present that to the judge. So the judge says, well, this must be the truth because everybody else 
is kind of dealing with this. And that's kind of the program. Correct. And that is a lot of work and uh, unbelievable. When you think about 251,000 cases every year that are need to be discussed. Uh, folks, we're going to take another break. But when we come back, Glenn Noise talking about Child Abuse Prevention Month with this this month, April. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Glenda Noyce is the executive director of the Gallatin Valley CASA GAL program. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. These are people who are speaking out for the children who are abused and who end up in the court system. About 251,000 children every year are going through the court system because of abuse. And abuse is is one word that uh, includes a lot of different things. And uh, we'll discuss that today. The GAL program stands for Guardian Ad Litem. So in a way, it is the same thing as Glenda mentioned at the end of the last hour. She said uh, they're used in the same way. But these are volunteers, we're going to talk about it, who have been appointed by a judge to do background information on the real situation in the abuse cases of children of all kinds of ages. So uh, these are children that are just not able to talk, to speak out for themselves. And uh, so they have somebody who is going to help them to go through the court system that is very different than a a lawyer. In um, the Gallatin County Casa Gal organization is the website, Gallatin County Casa Gal, C-A-S-A-G-A-L dot org. And there is also a nationwide organization that you can also find information on. It is casaforchildren.org. Uh, Glenda How Glenda Noyce is located. She is, the, she is the executive director of the Gallatin Valley Casa Gal program. Uh, she is located at her office and the Law and Justice Center on the third floor, and in room three one three. Telephone number there is four zero six. 582-2051. So nice of you to come over. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You betcha. And uh, maybe um, you can give us some more statistics. I, I threw out a statistic of about 700,000 abused children every year. 251,000 that are actually making it into court every year. About 940 different CASA programs in the nation, 70,000 volunteers who do this. Um, any other statistics that we need to know? Well, um, for locally yeah. in Gallatin County, currently we have 81 cases. Okay. Um, I think it's important to note as well that these are child abuse and neglect. Mm-hmm. So they're not. They're not 81 abuse cases, but abuse and neglect. So, and actually, probably thankfully, in most cases, we have more neglect cases than actual abuse cases. Give us an example of neglect. So, most often, the neglect cases that we see come as a result of drug use by parents. Okay. So, the parents have um, are addicted to drugs, drugs or alcohol, often meth. Um, and and um, several opioid um, addictions, addictions as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, so 
you know, those once that parent is is addicted to that to that drug, and that's that becomes the sole focus of their life at, at the extent. At, sorry, at the expense at the expense of their yeah, child. The American yeah. <laughs> at the expense of their child. So yes. you know, the children aren't aren't necessarily getting fed as they should, or they're living in a house that. Mm. <clears throat> is not suitable for, for children or maybe even humans to live in. Um, they, they aren't getting to school regularly. Um, perhaps they've been exposed to that, that drug use themselves and, and test positive, Mm. um, for the drugs themselves, just from being in the home where it's been used. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. And abuse is really physical, physical abuse in this case. Physical or sexual abuse as well. Yeah. Emotional abuse, uh, many young children don't know the difference yet. I right. Say, right. Or, and and it's very that's very hard to pin down and, and be able to prove with a reasonable doubt, you know, or without so it's mm. it's a lot harder to show the, the emotional abuse, unfortunately. Yes. Ah uh, boy, uh, is it getting worse? Or is it always been percentage-wise about the same for, let's say, 20, 30, 40 years uh, since uh, Judge Sukop started this? Sukov? What's her name? Sukov. Yeah. Started this? Or is it simply there are more people now coming out of the woodwork to say, you know, this is what's going on? I think it's both. I think there there definitely is an increase. You know, it's... um, I think from 2012 to 2015, 2012 to 2013, there was a 30% increase in cases that our program saw. Just Galtonville. And then another wow. 35% increase oh, boy. Um, to 2015. Yeah. Um, in 2015 alone, we had 125 cases over the course of the year. Some of those were carried on. They were not 125 new cases. Okay. They were, you know, some of those carried forward from from the previous years, of course. Um, 2016, we had 125 also, which was interesting that it was exactly the same. Yeah. We had a different number of new cases in 2015 to 2016, but so it was just a matter of which ones were continuing and which ones weren't. So we didn't see a big increase there, um, but over the course of the, I think the first year that we became a nonprofit in 2001, I believe they had 21 cases. Okay. And uh-huh. um, last year we had 52 new cases yeah. in 2016. So there's definitely an increase. I, I think a big part of that is the increase in drug use in our communities and then and then I think some of the increases due to things just being more apparent. You know, pe- there's things come to light on social media or, yeah. uh, you know, people are, are more, more involved or more willing to report things that maybe they didn't 40 years ago. I was watching last night on the Internet and you simply see I went to YouTube and I simply punched in child abuse. And it's unbelievable how many videos are on there talking about children who've died because of abuse. Uh, Many of them are literally texts with beautiful music in the background. Simply, there's nobody talking. So I couldn't really put one up today. I was going to play some. But you see the stories from what they know is going on. And I was surprised how many 
of these are also clips that were actually put on Facebook. There is one where you see a, I guess, a young mother from a man, the neighbor shot the video and she is beating up her eight-month-old baby in the baby stroller. And you can see it from a distance because it is he's the neighbor on his phone, so he can only zoom in so much. But you can literally see her just slap that baby. And he called uh, when the police came, they were not really interested in the video. And so he was so surprised that he decided to put it on Facebook. And he got all kinds of reactions. And um, so we see now people who are filming what is happening. And because of the phone, the iPhones or the phones, uh, people are able to uh, to actually expose some of the things that are going on. Uh, there was another one that was shown on the news. An 11-year-old boy got 50 lashes with a belt and got hit in the face because I think he didn't eat his food or something. It's amazing what the uh, the power trip is with these uh, people to do that kind of beating. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that there are parents who sometimes spank their children, but there is a difference between a spank and abuse. Right. That you, it's almost you get satisfaction from hitting somebody who is unable to defend themselves. And that's very different than when you say it's a disciplinary spank on the bottom correct you know with your with your own hand so if you use a belt obviously you're not hurting yourself but uh i there is there is a system to it i i would say when it comes to uh family discipline let me say it this way uh parents and children is this something that you that we have seen in gallatin county also that people have approached you with videos that were made and say, you know, this is what I have on tape and nobody wanted to see it. I have not seen that specifically. I did have a parent show me a video that had been posted on Facebook by the other parent that, that was concerning to her. Um, and we shared it with CPS and the guardian themselves. Yeah. Um, so that they just had, it, it wasn't an abuse situation. It was more of the other parent putting, possibly putting that child at with risky behavior, you know, not, not necessarily protecting them from, from a situation that instead encouraging something that maybe they shouldn't have given the age of the child. I see. Um, otherwise I, I haven't seen that kind of thing. I, I did see on um, Facebook yesterday. Yeah a recording that was done uh, that a woman her, her husband was abusing her and she somehow got her phone recorded recording the whole situation. And, and for some reason it wasn't allowed in court. Oh, So, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's rules about notifying someone you, when you're recording them and, you know, I don't know what all the laws are about that, but I, it, there was a big outcry with that, that that wasn't used. And it was, you know, an, a pretty obvious situation of domestic violence. And the judge didn't take that into consideration in the sentencing. So similar to what you're talking about. What is your <laughs> what is your feeling about this um, uh, professional uh, being in a situation for this long, having this, this, done this work for as long as you have? 
that there has to there is this rule that if the person was not asked permission to display it, that you cannot offer that to the to the judge. I mean, the fact is the fact. So NFA was saying if a tree falls in the forest, doesn't make any noise. Uh, well, we weren't there, right? We right. couldn't see it. But here, you literally have somebody who has been physically abused, who may have a black eye, lose a tooth, uh, have a st- marks on the body, and it was filmed, but you cannot use that as evidence because the other person doesn't allow it as evidence. It uh, it makes no sense. To me. No, it, it's very frustrating. And it kind of goes along with something that I have talked to several of my guardians about a frustration that a lot of times in our cases, there's a co-occurring criminal case going on yeah. along with, with our child abuse and neglect case. And oftentimes it feels like the rights of the parent in their criminal case far outweighs the rights of protecting that child. And so, you know, things things can't be brought up in the child abuse and neglect case because that might infringe on the parents' rights in their criminal case. Okay. And that that is very frustrating because they they do go hand in hand a lot of times, but we have to be very careful with what we what we use or what we say. And so that frustration of you know, your your right not to incriminate yourself or your right to to certain things in, in a criminal proceeding outweigh the protection and, and best interest of the child yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is a frustration that yes. we have. Yes. And I, I don't know how how you get past the recording issue. I, I would hope that in those situations, if Child Protective Services was made aware of that recording, they could use that information in ways outside of what maybe a judge couldn't use. I see. If you talk about total justice being done, it should be at least entered as evidence, even if it is never displayed to a jury, but it should be, in my opinion, should be made available so that whoever is making the judgment is completely aware of 100% of the situation. It should be a fact. I mean, how many times do we see a murder case where we just cannot find the evidence? We, We don't see fingerprints. We can't find the murder weapon. We don't know who did it. And... You, you put people on there that all get paid by the hour or they have a salary, and then they may all be on a case for, for years, never be able to resolve it. So they go into the, into the file, unresolved cases. And here you have something, all the evidence is on the table, uh, not on the table, it's there, but you cannot allow it on the table because there is no permission from all the parties to display it. Right. So here we have a case that is not correctly resolved, and it, it could have been if everybody just looked at all the facts. I mean, then think before you act. You know, if you don't want to be, <laughs> if you don't want to be seen on a video, then don't do it. Anyway, Glenda Noyes is my guest on Gesundheit with Jacoba. She is the executive director of the Gallatin Valley Court-Appointed Special Advocate Guardian at Lydum, people who are volunteers who help children who have been abused and neglected. And when they are going to court, it is these volunteers that gather the information from the parents, the children, the neighbors, the grandparents, the coaches, the janitor, the teachers, anybody who they know has been in the life or is in the life of these children. With that information, 
they 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 scan through everything and present the information back to the judge who now when the case comes to court in his court courtroom is able to have a much better insight in the truth and therefore can do what is best for the child not best for the parents and that is the uh, that is very important because like glenda said earlier the parents are often showing up with a lawyer who is trying to uh, keep the family together, which is which may be, of course, what we all want will be ideal. But uh, you see often that these people will have to go through special programs first to heal from their own issues and um, before they take it out on, on, on children. So instead of taking it out on children, I should say, not before. <laughs> <laughs> first they heal and they beat the kids up. That's not good. Glenda... Tell us more about the, uh, we're coming close to the break, but tell us more, get started on the whole volunteer issue. What does it entail? How do people get started on this uh, becoming a volunteer for Casa Gal? I think this is so important for those, because one thing, statistics that we haven't talked about, is that Gallatin County is representing 100% of all the cases, and that makes it actually unique in the country, isn't it? Yes, it is. Very unique. Tell us what that means. Well, we we have been able from the beginning of the program to appoint a volunteer for every child that comes into onto our caseload. We have other uh, sister programs around the state, uh, Yellowstone County, Cascade County, that have... Okay. I, I was just at a conference this week, and I think I heard that Yellowstone County has 500 kids without a CASA representing them. Whoa. Which is really is really sad. That's amazing. Um, but they just have such a tremendous amount of kids it, it coming into their caseload that they don't have enough volunteers um, or staff and funding to be able to serve each child. So we we are very blessed that we get have enough volunteers to continue to do that, and I hope that that's always the case here in Gallatin County. Yeah. We have about 69 volunteers currently trained and, and able to take cases. I believe I have 42 that actively have cases right now. So some of those other ones are either on hold for one reason or another, a life situation where they aren't able to spend the time taking a case at this moment, or they're new and they haven't gotten a case assigned yet. Yes. So, you know, um, they they there's various ways that we can go into more after the break of, of ways that they can come to um, that. They get become aware of the program and, and apply to be a volunteer. And then we have a pretty rigorous training um, schedule that they go through to be up and ready to, to face the challenge of mm-hmm. serving in, in this capacity. Now, since we're also talking to the people in Park County, is yes. there a program in Park County? There is. Okay. Um, Park County, it, it actually covers two counties. It's Park and Sweetgrass. Okay. I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Sweetgrass counties. So, um, Ann Schilling is the is the executive director in Park County, and she's been there a long What's time. Ann Schilling. Ann Schilling. Yes. And she has been there for a long time and, and is a great director serving all of the kids over there. I believe they may be 100% sir serving as well, but I'm not sure about that. Do you happen to know the number? 
No, but I will find it on the break. Let's do that during the break. And uh, I know that Livingston has been battling quite a bit with uh, children uh, in the school and uh, abuse cases as well. So it is definitely something that I would like to help the listeners with. Definitely. That you're here today. And since they can tune into the program, that uh, we give them the information that they need. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Uh, folks, when we come back, I'll give you an update on the weather. Of course, you already know what the weather is. It's unpredictable. It's Montana, for crying out loud. And uh, then when we uh, continue after that with Glenda Noyes, the executive director of the Gallatin Valley CASA GAL program, CASA court-appointed special advocate, and then GAL guardian at Lightem. These are special appointed people, volunteers, that help our abused and neglected children. I hope you stay with us all the way. We're going to be right back. Uh, Glenda, absolutely pleasure to have you here because uh, this is a very, very important uh, program. And um, I did a show a couple months ago. I told you that. It was early uh, February. And I had an interview with April Hall, the grandmother, from uh, a, a young girl, October Perez. And she was beaten to death by the boyfriend of the mother after the mother had been uh so april was is the grandmother because her son is the father and these two had known each other the uh, the the mother and the, the the her son and they got married and he went in the army and she got pregnant and she had a child and i think he has done two or three tours in afghanistan so he is you know, it's one of the things that you know you're going to get into, but uh, she apparently wanted a divorce and uh, started living with another uh, young man who ended up killing after they moved into the house three months or so, four months after they moved into the house, into the household with the boyfriend, uh, the girl was killed. And in the house, when they sent, when the grandmother said, when I see my granddaughter, uh, her arm hurts. She broke her arm. She broke her back. Uh, she broke ribs. She had lost three teeth in that short period of time. The grandmother had asked the mother if she could pick up October Perez every two weeks, I think every other weekend. And every time she came, she had bruises and scrapes and uh, black eye and missing teeth. And she was only two years old. And found out that uh, she said, Child Protective Services, she said, you have to go over there and check the situation out because it's a mess over there. I've been in that house and it is just a mess. And they uh, went in and that was 800 square feet, maybe even less than, maybe 700, whatever, small apartment where the boyfriend lived with the mother and October, his brother and his wife and two big dogs, and it was just chaos in that house. Nothing was kept clean, and they found drug paraphernalia on the kitchen counter. And still, Child Protective Services said, uh, we don't see any reason to worry. Everything is fine. Uh, it's all under control. And so uh, not even three weeks later, she was dead. And, um, you know, you think, you think, I mean, death happens. Death happens. But it shouldn't happen to children at the hand of an adult, which is repetitive also. 
it is our responsibility when we become parents to take care of children, to be responsible, to be not only the guardians, but also the example. And if I see that in this country alone, we're talking about 700,000. I mean, we're living here with 330 million people. That's a lot of children. That's almost a million children. And that is every year. 700,000 children are being abused and neglected. 251,000 are actually making it into court. And uh, hopefully, get, but the 251,000, are those the ones that actually make it to court, Glenda, or are those the ones that actually have CASA gal representation? Yes, those are the ones that actually have CASA representation. There's many, many more that don't have. Like Maricopa County, Arizona, um, I have spoken to someone out of that county quite a bit and they they have 12,000 kids in foster care in their county alone and only 900 of them have a casa serving them so there's wow. you know that 250,000 number is just those being served by casa and there's you know thousands and thousands more that aren't so maybe that's a good time to talk about the volunteer program sure um, tell us more about it. Where, where does one start? People are listening right now. Tell us, first of all, who can qualify to be a volunteer for CASA? Well, just about anyone can qualify. We do do a rigorous background check on everyone. Um, I'll, you know, they're to make sure that they're not harmful. You know, we don't want to add, add to the harm sure. for children. Sure. And, so everyone that comes into the program does go through a background check and through the National um, Sex Abuse uh, sex abu- Offender Registry and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, as long as you are an upstanding citizen, you can qualify. Right. We do have, like I mentioned before the break, a rigorous training that everyone goes through. Um, in, in historically here in Gallatin County, the training was 20 hours yeah. along with one-on-one mentoring of that volunteer through their first case. Um, in speaking with National CASA recently, they told me that's not really in compliance with their standards okay. and that we need to be doing a 30-hour training. All right. And so we'll be moving to, to change that so it'll be 30 hours and you are part of the you you are that's one of your responsibilities, right? Yes. Set up the teaching. Yes. And so, give us a, a, a slight rundown about some of the things that are being discussed during the training. Okay, we just I just finished my first training in February where I was the the sole trainer. So okay. that was you know my my maiden voyage into that. It was <laughs> I was real nervous, but I yeah. actually think it went really well, and I Good. came out with twelve new volunteers trained wow. that I think are doing an awesome job on those that have cases are doing a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, the training covers just everything, you know, what the program is itself and. Things from confidentiality, expectations, and court processes. Every guardian is required to write a court report for each court hearing. And so we cover how to write that court report and what goes into it. Um, we talk a lot about, about communication and dealing with, with families, how, how to talk to parents and how to, how communi- to get the information. How, right. How to, how to communicate with children effectively and things like that. Yeah. Also, how to put our biases aside. We all come into 
this role with a perspective and and a bias that's just natural that we may not even be aware of. And it's really important to put as much of that aside as possible when visiting with, with the parents, especially because if you come in and make a quick judgment about someone based on, you know, what their house looks like, that's not necessarily fair. You know, that, that, that parent has, has their own history. They have their own experiences that probably led them to where they are today. Yeah. And so we have to keep that in mind too. Mm -hmm. There is a, excuse me, there is something in statute that CPS is required to, um, to follow, which is called the minimum sufficient standard of care. And so, my idea of a clean house and your idea of a clean house may be two different things. And so there's a minimum standard of care that they can expect from a family. Okay. And so that often is frustrating for the guardians. You, you want these children to be in the best home possible, you know, the best environment, the mm-hmm. have the best opportunities in life. But unfortunately, that's not always going to happen. Right. Because, you know, there's, there's, economical things to that come into play and education and all those kinds of things. So mm-hmm. we can only expect the minimum standard of care, Okay, even when we would rather it be more than that. So. And I also realize that you can live in a mansion, but there can still be abuse. Yep. So you walk in and you're impressed by the wealth and the beauty, but behind the scenes there could be some extreme things happening that never make see daylight. Exactly. Yeah. In, in, you know, just recent history, I, I I do join my volunteers on their first case, and I walk through that with them um, step by step through the first parts of of every case. Yeah, as a mentor and and supervising them till they're they're feel like they're up and ready to run by themselves. And you know, I went with one guardian to visit a family that was just one of the most extreme poverty cases that I'd ever seen. Mm. And how many children? Um, I probably can't say that. Okay. Um, All right. You know, se- several children. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being poor is not abuse or neglect. So that, that in alone is, sure. you know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean yeah. that those children are being abused yeah. or neglected because the parents are not yeah. um, wealthy. So, you know, I, we, we were dealing with this family that is in, a, in an extreme poverty situation. Yeah. And then the next week I went with another, fi- another guardian to a family that, you know, it was the it's nicest, well nicest home I'd ever been in. Wow. So you're right. There, yeah, there are no boundaries, yeah. you know, yeah. addiction and mental illness. They, they don't have boundaries. So, right. And I understand that looking at volunteers, it can, like you said, it can be people from all walks of life. It can be, uh, mothers, uh, housewives, uh, homemakers. I think you call them today. It could be, uh, uh, executives. It could be, uh, you know, all kinds of people, whoever it is in the, uh, in, in our society, in our community. Um, you cannot tell from looking at somebody down the street that person may actually be a guardian. Right. Yes. Yep. You know, we have, we do have people from every walk of life. We have people that were former social workers. We have retired people. We have um, young people. I, I was very pleasantly surprised at the number of young people right? in my last training. What I, age are we talking about here? O- over 20? Yeah. Are they all adults or young people? They're all adults. Um, okay. I went back in preparation for this and and did kind of a perusal of my 69 trained advocates and 
We have them from 24 to 77 years old. Cool. Um, I have 35 of them are over 50 years old. Okay. 10 are under 30. All right. And the rest range between 30 and 50. So yeah. I thought that was a good spread of people. A lot of people are retired. It It is a big time commitment, especially in the beginning of a case. Right. You're, you're meeting with all these people, parents and foster parents and grandparents and neighbors and therapists and teachers and child protective services and sometimes law enforcement, you know, a huge variety of people that you're you're needing to talk to to build the big picture of what has gone on. I can imagine that it is very easy to get involved in a conversation with, let's say, a teacher or a neighbor or a grandparent and be totally, I mean, when these people see there is somebody who actually listens to the story, uh, you could spend a lot of time with them right. listening, just listening and maybe taking some notes. Is that one of the things that you're going to be trained at, that you really try to ask the pertinent questions? Because uh, time, the time commitment, uh, one of the things I saw was that it probably, and I was going to ask you time commitment, it says an average of about 10 hours a month. And I go like, uh, well, I know I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do that in 10 hours a month per case. Right. right. And many volunteers only get about one case a month. Most of them only have one case at a time. Yeah. So, sometimes but they have 10 hours? two. Is that fair to that, say? That is the average. Really? At the beginning of a case, though, it's a lot more. That yes. That first month on a case where you're doing the big bulk of the investigation and, and building the backstory that led this family to this situation mm -hmm. is, is quite time-consuming. Okay. And as well as that's when you have the first couple court hearings fall within that first month. And then um, we have a pre-hearing conference. You've got at least three or four hours of court alone in that first month that takes up time. So mm. we do have a lot of retired people or people with jobs that are flexible enough if they work from home yeah. or or they have a job that is willing to let them flex their time to, yeah. to come and go as needed. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I was really pleasantly surprised to see as many young, younger people as we did in this last training, because mm -hmm. I think having that um, wide range of people available to serve these kids is great. And I also had two men in the training, which we really do need men, you okay, know, like, like my, my foster child, I said, he's a 16 year old boy and, and him having a male guardian ad litem is huge because that's, a, that's a time when, you know, young men really could could benefit from having a male role model yes. and, and someone that they might feel more comfortable talking to. Yeah, Folks, uh, Glenda Noyes is my guest. She is the executive director of the Gallatin Valley CASA GAL program. She is located at the Law and Justice Center on uh, South 16th, third floor, room 313. And the telephone number over there is 582 2051-582-2051. If you are aware of a case of child neglect or child abuse, do not hesitate to call the CASA office and Glenda and her staff will be very happy to help show you the steps to take uh, what you need to do next. Uh, if you are a person who would love to learn more about this to become a volunteer to help the abused and neglected children, please give Glenda a call at 582-2051. The volunteers, Glenda, are, 
And thanks for being here, really. Thank I, you for I, having I, me. Uh, you all, this is so important. It's very uh, important. We have to do this again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm already, I'd be happy to. I'm already telling you now. <laughs> <laughs> We're not done yet. And I, I have so much information because I want to talk about that ACES program as well that people need to understand. The, um, the volunteers, again, we, 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 there is a bunch of questions. There is a questionnaire that they need to fill out. And there is, uh, I was looking at the national website and simply at the information. See, I'm looking all over the place here for stuff. Um, volunteer recruitment and training. Um, it says volunteer as a guardian at Lightem is rewarding because you have the opportunity to truly make a difference in the life of a child. Children who are appointed a guardian at Lightem spend less time in the foster care system. Children also have a better chance of finding a permanent home when a guardian at Lightem is appointed. Volunteers are recruited through speaking engagements, advertisements, or word of mouth. Job descriptions are available to interested volunteers. A screening process begins with an application and references, an interview, and a criminal background check. A minimum of 30 hours of training is required. An existing guardian ad litem is paired with a new guardian ad litem on their first case. The program volunteers meet regularly to support each other. There is ongoing training in child development, juvenile justice, and child abuse and neglect. And I, I highly recommend you go to the website, the Gallatin County, casagal.org, casa, C-A-S-A, court appointed special advocate, and G-A-L, guardian at litem, dot org, Gallatin County, casagal.org, and browse through the pages and read about the volunteer program because I have over here in the back, I have the uh, the questionnaire. And of course, you start to fill out your form <laughs> where you've been. And then you come to page three. They <laughs> say, uh, the Casa Gal program will reject any applicant found to have been convicted of or having charges pending for a felony or misdemeanor involving a sex offense, child abuse or neglect, or related acts that would pose risk to children or the program's credibility. And then you have to do your consent to a routine check of your criminal records. And do you consent to a routine check of your criminal records in other areas if you have not lived in the state of Montana for the past five years? And of course that makes sense, but it's funny that it's page three. It should be the first question. I'll take the, I'll take that under advisement. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Uh, no, that's, that's true. But I was reading also on the national website some of the questions that are uh, the volunteer duties. Um, I, I can give you the pages if you want to use them, but these are some of the, the volunteer duties, and uh, maybe we can jump on that as soon as we have answered this uh, uh, the question from a caller who was on the phone with us. That's okay, Glenda? Sure. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program. What is your, your name, please? How can we help you? Yes, my name is Joel. Hi, Joel. And, and this CASA program that you're talking about, CASA is house in Italian. How do you spell your CASA there? What is this organization? What? How do you spell it? C-A-S-A, just like the Italian. Okay, just like the Italian. Okay, that's. but I just wanted to double-check now. Is this a national 
organization in any way, or is it just local, Gallatin Valley? It, it is national. There, um, It started out of Seattle, Washington, and has over 900 programs across the U.S. Okay, good. I'll call you at your office. I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you. That'd be great, Joel. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes, this nationwide organization has grown to 949 programs in 49 states and the District of Columbia, except North Dakota, with more than 76,000 volunteers serving over 251,000 abused and neglected children every year. So this is really quite something, and I, I do hope that you stay with us for the last hour, because there is a lot more coming. Where this came from with Glenda Noyce, the Executive Director of CASA. Stay tuned. We will be right back. I was going to ask you to maybe tell us a little bit about the uh, the list of duties that uh, the volunteers have who joined the program. Sure. Would you mind sharing some of that with us, please? Sure, that would be fine. Um, our our volunteers do initially their their main role is conducting an investigation, um, looking into. Um, the facts surrounding the situation that led this family into the child abuse and neglect process. Um, much like the list you gave previously, they are um, talking to all those people. They're talking to parents and family members, neighbors, counselors, school um, personnel, teachers, coaches, uh, law enforcement Child Protective Services, anyone that might be able to um, provide some insight into the life of this child and what they may have been experiencing. Right. Um, they also meet with the child or children in um, in a situation. They visit with them. What's the youngest child you have ended up talking to? Well, we have chi- children on our caseload that come from the hospital. You know, they've, they're removed from the parents at the hospital. So we can't really talk to them, but we definitely um, visit them in, in whatever home they might be in, foster home or kinship placement. Um, and then we have served kids all the way up till 18. So, But do you have, have you been able to, uh, if you want to get information, have you been able to get that from a two-year-old? Have you been able to get any information talking to a child, a three-year-old? What is kind of a young age that you have talked to? Well, you know, I don't like to use the word interview okay. as far as what we do with the kids. Mostly we're interacting with them. Sure. You know, oh, yeah, of C- CPS no. is trained to interview as far as the specifics of a situation. And, and because the people that work with my program are volunteers, they're not necessarily skilled in in a way that... If, if a child brought up something that was traumatic right. in, in being able to deal with that with that child and help them process that. So, so we, we don't necessarily want the volunteers to be interviewing them about the nitty gritty details of the case. As far as the child goes, we're more developing a relationship with them. Right. We're, um, spending time with them 
uh, on a personal level so that we can assess if they may need some other kind of therapy, in our opinion, or if they um, have educational needs. I know that the guardian on um, on the case for my child advocated strongly for tutoring that wasn't happening, but he he saw a need for some specialized math tutoring. And so he, he worked hard, even going to the judge, to have that happen. Um, so... So our role is not necessarily finding out the nitty-gritty details of what has happened to the child in the home before they were removed, but establishing a relationship with them going forward so that we can let the judge know, do they need to be in a different placement? Do they need to have have some special services that they're not receiving? Right. So, um, you know, we can go and meet with... Um, a family with a two-year-old or something, and just by interacting with them, maybe see if there's some behavior that's going on that we find alarming right. or concerning, and talk to CPS about getting them into some specialized help that may address that. Hmm. You know, a CPS worker has, you know, 10, 12 case, cases on their caseload. We have one, maybe two. I see. So we're able to spend more individualized time with that child and get to the, know them on a different level and make those recommendations because of that. Right. And I, I know CPS has been, uh, Child Protective Services has been under the gun uh, more and more lately, but they say they're simply understaffed to deal with all the cases. And And I can understand that if you are really into helping families that you uh, that when you get that overwhelmed and you want to do a good job that it can get very frustrating right and sometimes you are also entering situations that are so difficult to be around that some people probably need therapy themselves correct to get, get through all this because it's it can be, if that is not your lifestyle, the way you were raised, and now you are volunteering to help those who need your help, and then you enter situations where there is, the abuse is so bad or the living circumstances are so difficult to witness that it can be something that you, 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 you have sleepless nights. You, you cannot imagine that that is happening in your neighborhood. That I is. have a lot of sleepless nights. Wow. <laughs> Um, and that's part of the training that we do with the volunteers is self-care and how to recognize if, if we need to step back or get some help ourselves to, um, to process the information and, and the things that we're witnessing and seeing that secondary trauma where, where we're, we're experiencing trauma because of someone else's trauma. Yeah. That's a big thing to be aware of and, and to learn how to manage that so that we don't have I, I think CPS workers have a lot of burnout yeah. and um, a lot of that secondary trauma experienced in their lives too. Yes, exactly. Um, the other thing that our volunteers have is access to all court records. Um, you know, if parents often they they undergo a chemical dependency evaluation, um, mental health or psychological evaluations. Um, various various things like that to assess where they are and what their needs will be going forward in order to work towards reunification with their kids. Yeah. And we as guardians have access to all of that information that we can read and, and use in making our recommendations for the children going forward as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mentioned it before, but we also write court reports to the judge that include um, a brief history of what brought this family to them. Um, I believe it was Judge Gary or Judge Olson that asked for that to be included. It's just a brief paragraph that reminds them because they're seeing case after case after case as well. So that, you know, the, the petition that comes from Child Protective Services is pages and pages of history, and we summarize it down into a couple paragraphs. Yeah, I saw just, that somewhere, one of the uh, informations, that if you see somebody walking in with just one page, you know you're in good hands. <laughs> but it was something written over here. Right. I'll find it. And so in addition to the case history, we repart- we prepare a report of what we've learned, um, what information might be good for um the judge to have in, in, in assessing the situation. Right. And then we also report all of our contacts who we met with, what, what they're, who they're affiliated with and, and how we met with them. If it was in person or over the phone, texting, email, that kind of thing. Right. Um, and then we, you know, the biggest thing is, is building that relationship with that child so that we can say we truly know, know them, and have a good understanding of what the needs are in their lives. When you deal with teenagers, is this more they have already been in foster care, or is it possible that an 11, 12, 13-year-old ends up in a situation that was not earlier recognized? Uh, Is child abuse usually happening at a real young age that starts at a young age, or is it possible that it doesn't start until 11, 12, or 13. And I can imagine, I can imagine, Glenda, that it could be a divorce and then the mother gets a new boyfriend or the husband, the father gets a new girlfriend and then all of a sudden things are changing. I, I can understand that part. Right. We definitely have both situations. Okay. We have, you know, kids that... I think 35 of our 81 cases are under five years old. Okay. Um, and then the age range branches out from there um, up until 18. A lot of the cases we see have some child protective services history. You know, they've had various reports over time. Some were substantiated, some were not. The, um, um, you know, the, I think that's a lot of times the frustration where – there's a significant history, but none of them have ever been able to be substantiated for one reason or another, and therefore CPS hasn't ever intervened before. I see. Um, and then, you know, we have cases, I I have one in particular that comes to mind that um, the child is an older teen, and, and this is the first time that they've that cps has actually been involved in their life not that there might not have been reports before but it's the first time they've ever intervened so it it really varies um you know you might have teenage kids where the parents parent or parents just became involved in in drug use and so that that neglect is just now becoming a problem or or they've skated under the radar all this time. I, see. I, I think the actual physical abuse cases, probably the ones that are coming to mind for me are younger children. So I think that's, you know, that is probably more often happening. Yeah. Um, the actual physical abuse cases are happening earlier on. Not always, but right. a good percentage of the time. Hmm. Wow, folks. So. Glenda Noyes, my guest, the executive director of the Gallatin Valley Casa 
GAL program, Court Appointed Special Advocate, Guardian at Leidem. The telephone number where you can reach her is 582-2051, 582-2051. She is in the um, Law and Justice Center on South 16th in Bozeman. There is also a program in Park County for those of you who have witnessed or are concerned about child abuse, child neglect, and perhaps you either have to story have a story to tell or you would like to volunteer yourself to help these children in need, then you can contact in Park County, you can contact Ann Schilling, and Ann's number is 406, <coughs> and then 222-4904, 222-4904 for Ann Schilling in Park County. Uh, was there another point on the volunteer uh, schedule that you would like to bring up? Well, I was just going to give some examples of things that, that the CASAs do with yeah. their family. For example, one family that we have has three children, and the guardian on that case is amazing. And so in a month's time, each weekend she takes them individually, one of them to do something. And then sometimes she does something with all three of them together. But she's really made a big effort to to get to know each child individually, you know, take one of them to the to the museum one weekend and the next weekend she might take one to play laser tag or things like that so that she can get to know each of them individually. And so, so, you know, she definitely probably exceeds that 10 hours a month because she spends a lot of individual time with that family. Um, You know, I know that one of our guardians that has a two-year-old on her case, she's developed a real good relationship with the foster family and that child. And so she is able to take him and go to books and babies at the library or things like that and um, give the foster family a little bit of respite and um, also establish um, a real neat relationship with that little one. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a lot, of course, it's more difficult with, with, a family with young children to really establish that, but she spent enough time with them that he's real comfortable with her and she's sure. able to do that with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we have another one that the guardian actually supervised a high school dance just so this child oh, would right? have the opportunity to, uh, to attend it. And so oh. that was really special for her. And she helped her get, you know, found a dress for her to wear and, and just made it real extra special mm. for her. So mm. kind of went above and beyond. We teased her a little bit about hanging out at the high school dance, but um, yeah. it was something real, uh, you know, kind of above and beyond to do for that child so that she'd have that opportunity. So we have really special people working as volunteers. So is it realistic to say that it is at least 10 hours of volunteer time if you are busy with court cases and uh, you you also want to be in the life of the child? And I'm not saying that, uh, that this is negative. This is extremely positive. But at the same time, I realize that if you get as a volunteer about one case a month, perhaps, is that true about one case a month? Well, I, a case, the average length of a case is 18 to 24 months. Oh. So you get a case and you stay with that child from beginning to end. Oh, that's why it comes in so, that you can 
be in the life personally right. of that child as well. As well. Right. And there is there no conflict of interest? No, because you are there for the child. Right. right. And and the CASA or the guardian ad litem stays in that li- that child's life until they have permanency. Okay. And permanency can be any number of things. It can be being reuni- reunified with their parent. It can be um, if a parent's rights are terminated and the child um, it needs to find a home, then... You know, either they're they're placed with a kinship placement, which is a family member, or sometimes right. a close friend, where they um, are either adopted or go into a guardianship, or the child is placed up for adoption after parental rights are terminated and adopted by an outside party. Mm-hmm. So there there are lots of options at the end, but that CASA stays with that child from the very beginning yeah. until permanency is achieved. Okay. So, all right. Okay, when we come back, folks, uh, with Glenda Noyce, uh, we're going to talk about the ACES program, which is also very important to understand that you uh, know what that is. ACES is uh, where you talk about the effects, the long-term effects that abuse may have had on a child. And uh, this is a very touching uh, topic, but uh, I think that we definitely need to know more about this. So please uh, stay tuned for that when we come back. We're going to take a short break. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. We will be right back. Um, I know it is, uh, you, it's hard for you to be away from your foster son <laughs> for a long time, so I'm glad for all the time you are spending with us uh, this morning. I, uh, we were talking about, I would like to talk about ACES and to, to give people an understanding what this entails, please. Okay, ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And there was a study that was started in 1995, um, and it included 17,000 participants that they have tracked since then um, to try to determine the um, effects of childhood adversity on population health and well-being. Um, They were... The conclusion of that study is that ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, can lead to impaired neurodevelopment and, um, you know, problems with social, emotional, and cognitive adaptations and lead to risk factors for major um, disease, disability, social problems, early death, that kind of thing. Right. Um, You know, the, the, the results of is that the prolonged exposure to those adverse experiences creates toxic stress. And toxic stress in the brain, it, it actually physically impacts the brain. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that stress hormone like cortisol that builds up and is there, you know, it's it's good for fight or flight if you're encountering a bear, but they say if, you know, you're going home at the end of the day to that bear every day, you know, that's not... It's not healthy, and it's it's it has huge impacts on, on the developing brain of a child. Right. Um, you know, the ten most common aces are physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, physical and emotional neglect, mental illness, and that's on the part of a parent. So you're thinking if if you're taking this study about your childhood, um, mental illness, an incarcerated parent, domestic violence against the mother, substance abuse by a parent. And divorce. Um, they were actually able to also determine that the de- witnessing domestic violence against the mother 
has the strongest impact on a child oh. long term, even over sexual abuse, which really surprised me. Wow. Um, it's there's a 10 question um, mm-hmm. survey that they give people to determine what the ACE score is, and anyone with a score over four is at much higher risk for things such as alcoholism, lung disease, coronary heart disease, drug abuse, uh, mental health problems, obesity, workplace problems, that kind of thing. I have the questions in front of me. Shall I I, uh, say to it? Sure. Okay. Uh, The most important thing to remember is that the ACE score is meant as a guideline. If you experience, and by the way, you can go to a website that is called aces 2 High. Dot com aces too high a c e s two t o o h i g h aces too high dot com. Uh, the most important thing to remember is that the ACE score is meant as a guideline. If you experience other types of toxic stress over months or years, then those who would likely then those would likely increase your risk of health consequences. This here we go. Prior to your eighteenth birthday. Question number one, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, or humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? Question two, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you? or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured. And by the way, I want to, before I go to the next questions, want to let you know that this is prior to your 18th birthday. So there are people who are full-grown adults dealing with their own life, children, and still deal with trauma. These questions go for you as well. This is not just for a child today. This is for anybody dealing with memories that they now realize could very well have to do with child abuse or neglect. So go to that website, ACES Too High, and go to the questionnaire. Number three, did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touched their body in a sexual way or attempt or actually have oral anal or vaginal intercourse with you? Four, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Five, did you want to read any of them? You got them in front of you? You can go ahead. Okay. Five, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it. Six, were your parents ever separated or divorced? Seven, was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her, or sometimes, often or very often, kicked, 
bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes, or threatened with a gun or a knife. I mean, you hear a question like that, what is going on? Number eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? That's another big, big issue. Number 10, did a household member go to prison? Add up your yes answers and that is your ACE score. And like you just said, Glenda Noyce, you said uh, if you go over four, then right. you could have, and there are people who score 10. Yep. Yes, I was at a conference last fall where one of the presenters had an ACE score of 10. Was you know? that the young man then who uh, grew up in this area and now works in Washington? I believe that. I He's believe like 30, that he has an ACE score of 10 too, yes. but that's not the person I specifically, okay, okay. but you know, the Skylar who you're right, talking Skylar. about and the woman that was um, speaking at this conference, you know, they were able, able to overcome that adversity mm -hmm. and make big changes in their lives. But without some kind of intervention at some point, without having someone who um, could step into their lives and provide you know, a healthier connection and relationship with them that was would probably not be the outcome for them to go on to lead real successful, healthy lives. And and the ACE study has shown that, you know, things like heart disease actually are increased substantially from from just the ACE score. So right. there's there's a lot of physical effects and you were you <clears throat> hesitated on the on the question number nine which dealt with mental illness yes. i was just at a conference this week where one of the pre presenters talked about a study recently done in canada where they did eegs on six-month-old babies oh, on wow. their brains oh. and the one group was um a group of babies who had mothers with diagnosable depression yeah and then the other group did not you know they had you know mentally healthy mothers and the size of the brains of every baby in the group whose mothers had depression was oh, substantially smaller. smaller. So that just shows, you know, in six months of life, yeah. how just, you know, living in a home with, with a parent with mental illness was already significantly impacting the growth of uh, and development of their brain, which is, it's just really sad. Yeah. Hey, you cannot stop anybody from being a parent. Nope. You know, but it's, uh, you sometimes wonder. Right. And mental illness, that's beyond their control, though there are ways sure. to get help. And that's in our program where we're always working to try to help those parents to get to a place of, of better help if they're willing to use the resources that are available to them. But Is there any uh, study, folks, 522-8255, It's so interesting, Dr. Glenda, and there is, I have another 10 pages we can go through. Um 522-8255, if you want to ask Glenda Noyes, the executive director of CASA in Bozeman, right here, a question. You are tuned in to news radio, AM 1450 KMMS, where Montana talks.
We're broadcasting as well in Park County, Livingston, Paradise Valley at uh, AM 1340 KPRK. And we appreciate all of you tuning in on the internet at kmmsam.com. If you'd like to send me a email and with a question, do so at Jacobus at kmmsam.com. Jacobus, J-A-C-O-B-U-S and at kmmsam.com. Glenda Noyes, uh, her office number is 522-5032 or something. What was it again? So, yeah, 2051. That's close, so close. I was so close. <laughs> I got the numbers close. 582-2051. I'm looking right now. And in Park County, call Ann Schilling at 222-4904. If you need to report child abuse or neglect, there is a statewide toll-free number. That's 866 820 37. Goodness gracious. The uh, I've seen in high school that children are sometimes walking around with a baby, like a um, a doll, that they really have to take care for. Yep. I, I forgot what the program is called, but is that a is that actually a class in our high school where children are being taught about parenting? Yes. It is. It's a child development class, and actually my foster son just did that. He brought Brought the baby home for the weekend right? and had to care for it, and it kept us up at night. And really, <laughs> he he did definitely got to experience you know the difficulties of being a parent. He he was frustrated. He said, "But you don't. It's it's all the difficulty without the joy because of course the baby's not snuggling you and things like that. But right. um, it definitely is a good demonstration of." You know, you've fed them, you've diapered them, you've patted them on the back, and, and they're still not necessarily happy for periods of time. And so they, you know, they have to learn that everything else has to be put aside to to take care of that infant's needs at that moment. So these are special uh, babies that make noises or they have timers in them or something? Yeah, they, they, the student wears a wristband that is you know, electronically associated with that baby. So as soon as the baby starts to fuss, he would have to put the wristband up to the baby somewhere. I can't remember where. So it would, <clears throat> excuse me, register that um, the appropriate person was caring for him. Uh -huh. So it wasn't like I could step in and care for him. Ooh. It had to be him that was caring for the, the baby. Yeah. And then he would go through various steps of, you know, feeding it a bottle or burping it or changing its diaper. It actually has diapers with some sensor in it, so he'd have to change out the diaper. Oh, you have to. Um, you cannot neglect it. No. It knows that you're taking and, it off and, and putting a new one back on. It's got some kind of recording in it, so it's recording how long you let the baby cry um, and and can re record what kind of interventions you did to try to to soothe it and that kind of thing, and then they get a grade on how well they did. And this has been a program that do you know how long this program has been going on? I don't. And I know for many years. Yes. Yeah. And and this is. Do you think that uh, maybe part of that is because of somebody? abuse cases and uh, and and maybe child protective service i don't know who got this going but it must have been some concerned parents in quite, my opinion quite possibly i think they use it as a pregnancy deterrent as well you know they're trying to teach kids that this isn't all fun um you know i think maybe some teenagers especially maybe girls maybe that's sexist um you know are like oh i want to have a baby to love and they don't 
really understand the realities of what that really means. Yeah, for 18 years, for yeah. sure, and so, beyond. We, I, should, right. I should use this opportunity to give a plug. We have a person at the Galton City County Health Department. His name is Patrick Dugans, and he is called, his title is the Father Engagement Specialist. Ah. And he was hired to initially to work with teenage fathers to try to teach them how to be more engaged in the lives of their children. And he also works with a lot of the fathers on our cases to help them learn how to be better parents, better fathers, that kind of thing. And he's an amazing resource in this community. So does he also teach at the high school? Does he, he does not. Class? He does not. So the classes well, that... I guess I should say, I, I don't believe he does. So then the classes are really uh, not just about taking care of the baby because there's only so many babies to go around, but it, it does really a class that, that, that teaches children what it involves to be a parent. Yep. And so that they know what they start on and that they're not only as a deterrent, as you say, but also as a prep, pre- preparation. Yes. Right. You know, I, and, and like I said, it's easy to become a parent. You know, that doesn't take very long. Right. You know, <laughs> but... After that, too, too many people, based on somebody's child abuse, many of these child abuse cases, uh, people are not taught how to be responsible right. in their own life because they don't realize the child's mind is simply a sponge. Right. And so that's why when you have a questionnaire like this, you realize that many children have simply witnessed stuff, not realizing that those are all part of abuse. That right that has affected them emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and actually can cause physical ailments. So it is important that we uh, that we check that out. Uh, we have a caller who would like to ask a question. We're coming very close to the end of the program. Uh, thanks, caller, for joining the program. What's your name, please? How can we help you? Yeah, my name is Joel again. Would you give that national web address? It's a, it's a statewide. Oh, the national web address. Yes. That is uh, CASA. Like house, like what you said earlier, casaforchildren.org. I did have. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thank you very much for the call. So this is, uh, you know, I really like, I'm glad we bring this up because this is an important thing to know that our community has become proactive. How about Livingston? Do they have a similar program in Livingston High School? Because I do know I have heard quite a few stories about suicides in Livingston in the high school uh, bullying and otherwise, and uh, drug use by the parents and children sleeping in the truck because they cannot be in the house. Um, do you know of any program in Park County? I don't know. I I would assume the high school probably has a similar child development class, but I'm not. I I don't know that for sure. Well, if you are in Livingston and Park County, by all means, it is definitely something you want to check and see if there is something that can be done. Uh, if it doesn't exist yet, because this sounds like a great program. And, uh, you know, where Montana is dealing with so many suicides and poverty and issues where uh, there is dysfunctional families and we have so many young folks who are entering the military and who come back who are damaged and have no, no adequate support, but they went into the military, got pregnant, or, you know, were became a parent, um, now they have to deal with their own mental health issues, often the trauma, the PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and others. And at the same time, the feelings of guilt. And now you have to step in from day one, you become a parent. Not everybody is equipped for that. 
So okay. whatever, wherever we can start, if that is not there, I think this high school program is a is a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah, to avoid a lot of this damage. And uh, but still, we have too many. Any one is too many. Right. And so many, you know, we've come to realize so many of our, probably the majority of our our parents in our cases have an extremely high ACEs score as well. So, you know, they they aren't necessarily willfully neglecting their children. They've just had so many negative experience in the, experiences in their lives as well that they don't know any different also. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, ACES is a program. I know we're coming close to the end of the hour here, and that means that we're close to uh, <laughs> where we where we started. That means that we don't have all the solutions, but we definitely have a, have a bunch of options yes. out here. And that, to me, is just uh, amazing. Glenda, I really, really appreciate you coming in. I uh, We didn't get to talk about child pornography and some other issues that are really uh, on my mind that I'm thinking about when I saw it. I go like, oh, God, it's something else. But thank you so much for all the work you do. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we should do this again uh, just to keep the awareness going. I would love to. And uh, we'll, um, we'll, we'll talk more with you. And I again, I want to reiterate the number is 582-2051, 582-2051. The website is Gallatin County casagal.org casagal.org Park County and Schilling 222-4904 Folks, we're done. I appreciate you listening. We're going to be back next week Saturday from 8 to 11. Health experts witnessing them at the top of their game every Saturday morning on Gesundheit with Jacobus. 